This is the Activate Podcast with Pastor Christian Newsom. In this week's podcast, I think when 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 we give, if if you give with the heart of generosity of the Jewish culture, um, you never give looking in the mirror. You always give looking up, looking out, or looking down. Thanks for listening to Activate with Pastor Christian Newsom, a podcast of Journey Church International. My name is Brandon, and I'm really looking forward to today's conversation with Pastor Christian, lead and founding pastor of Journey. We are recording this episode exactly one week from Thanksgiving, so happy Thanksgiving to you and your family. Uh, today in the podcast, we'll be t- discussing Pastor Christian's most recent message in our series, Difference Makers. In this series, we're learning to chase the vision that God has for our personal lives as well as for our church. And I wanted to mention this on the front side of the episode, just in case you've missed it. If if you'd like to learn more about this exciting new season for us here at Journey, you can visit differencemaker.cc. Again, that's differencemaker.cc. This website will provide the why, the what, and the how of this vision Pastor Christian and his team have have really put together. Please take a moment to check it out, and, and we'd love to encourage you to prayerfully consider how you can help us make this vision a reality. Pastor Christian, before we jump into Sunday's message, let's back up a week if we can. Uh, two Sundays ago, you shared an incredible teaching on the life of King Hezekiah and his son Manasseh. Can you help me out a, a little bit with some biblical and historical math? Uh, if you wouldn't mind, help me understand why you believe Manasseh was eight years old when his dad was healed and 23 when he became king, when Scripture says twice that he was 12 when he became king and ruled um, for about 55 years after that. How, how does all that math work out? Yeah, so, that, so that is a, that's really a good question. Uh, in Acts chapter 17, we're introduced to a village that Paul started a church in called Berea. And it said that everything Paul would preach and teach on the Bereans would study the word, not to fact check him, but just to go deeper uh, and try to understand it a little better. Uh, so I appreciate, you know, our podcast listeners and those people who are in our church, uh, you know, asking this question. Say, hey, we heard you talk about Manasseh being eight. Um, you know, we see him becoming king at 12 reigning for 55 years. Scripture scripture twice says that he became king at 12 and reigned for 55 years. So just help us understand how that works. That is, that is great insight. That's a great question. That is great second-level study. That's what we hope all of our podcast listeners are doing, is not, not just taking everything at face value, but going back to the Scripture and learning for themselves the deeper truths of Scripture. Um, so you say, Christian, how do you, how do you get those dates? So you you got to get past the English Bible, and you got to get past your you know your study notes in the English Bible, and you got to go to Jewish history. And when you go to Jewish history, the the outline of the years that the kings were kings in Judah is very very clear um, in in ancient Jewish history from David reigning from ten ten to nine seventy, King Saul reigning before him, Solomon reigning from nine seventy to nine thirty. Uh, we know very very clearly from archaeological history that Hezekiah was the king in Judah from seven fifteen to seven eighty six. So it's really easy to know if he died in seventeen eighty six that his fifteen years. Remember, you got to go the other direction. Started in seven oh one. We also very very clearly from history know that Ammon became king of Judah in 642 BC. There's great historical archaeological evidence that says Ammon became king in 642 BC. If Manasseh reigned for 55 years, that means he became king at 697 when he was 12. So he was 12 
in 697, which means he would have been born in 708 or 709, which means in 700, 701, when King Hezekiah was given this 15 extra years to live, that his son Manasseh would have been you know, seven or eight or nine years old. You say, well, how does that happen? Often um, in the ancient Near East, uh, monarchs ruled in unison for a period, especially if you had a dad like Hezekiah who'd been sick and who, and they, who, who thought he was going to die, who thought he may have died without giving the throne to someone else. A lot of kings in the ancient Near East, not just in Israel and Judah, but all over the, the Middle East would have a, a term of co-regency with their son where they would kind of reign together. And when you study history very, very carefully, if you go back and study Jewish history, you're going to see that uh, Jewish historians believe that Manasseh was born in 709, that he began a co-regency with his father at 697, that he reigned for 55 years, but 10 or 11 years of that were a co-regency with Hezekiah, which would have made him, if he was born in 709, eight or nine years old uh, when the miracle happened um, that happened. But, but I mean, you got it. You got to get into Jewish history. You got to get into the history of the Kings. You got to You got to get into ancient archeological history. You got, you got to look sometimes deeper, deeper than just the pages of the English Bible to really get into the nuts and bolts of the history to pull out some of the deeper things. Um, and, and you can't guess it's unfair to guess. I talked to someone on Sunday who said, you know, I, I had heard that, um, you know, Hezekiah became king when he was 12, which means he was born three years into Hezekiah's extra 15 years, which means maybe Hezekiah and Isaiah both improperly prayed for a baby, um, and God gave that to him. And I said, the day, like, I understand maybe what someone was trying to preach, but none of that is historically accurate. None of that lines up with Jewish history. That's somebody kind of making things up. Um, so you, you got you to go, you gotta go a level deeper. And when you do that, man, sometimes the secrets of Scripture are like seeing a kid from the age of 8 to 23 watch his dad make every decision through the lens of what's best for me. Sometimes that helps you understand how a kid could get so far off so fast and stay so far off um, so fast. So awesome, awesome history. But sometimes you, you got to get deep into the Jewish history of the Old Testament and into the archaeological history of the kings and the dates and the kingdoms to understand all of that stuff really, really good. But I appreciate us having some Bereans in our church who study the scripture carefully after they hear it to learn a little more for themselves. Pastor Christian, just to kind of paint, paint a picture for our podcast listeners, as you were uh, quoting and stating those dates, you were doing it, doing it from memory. You, he does not have a sheet of paper in front of you, for those of you that are listening right now. Um, he is not using notes, and that blows me away because I know you study this stuff, and it's really, really important to yeah, you. Yeah, and part, part of this is new to me. My goal in 2019 was to memorize not just the king, the 22 kings in Judah. Uh, someone even asked me, they said, hey, you, you forgot about Saul um, on Sunday. Again, great insight, except Saul was never a king of Judah. Saul was one of the kings of Israel. So when you talk about the kings of Judah, you have to talk about David. Saul was from the tribe of Benjamin. The Messiah comes from the king of the tribe of Judah. Um, but, so I, I understand what you're saying. But I also I also study study pretty carefully. I'm not just making stuff up um, most of the time if I can if I can help it. But my goal was to memorize not just the 22 kings of Judah, uh, but the dates that they reigned, whether they were good or bad and the prophets that correspond to them. Because when you understand that, man, all of Scripture just opens for you so much more. So it, it 2019, I mean, I'm, I'm, all, I'm nearly 11 full months into, and I mean, I bet I've done it 100 times, getting a fresh sheet of paper, numbering it 1 to 22, starting with Solomon, 
going all the way to Zedekiah. And if you want to add Gedaliah, he'd be number 23. He was a governor that was put in place by the Babylonians, not of the tribe of Judah. Um, but I, I mean, I've done it, you know, like like writing on the board, which I used to do a lot in second grade. I will not talk back to my teacher. I will not talk back to my teacher. Right. I will not talk back to my teacher. Right. You know, the old Bart Simpson yes. over and over and over. Um, I've written the list of the kings and the date of kings. And next year in 2020, my goal is to memorize the Israeli kings, um, the northern tribes, so that I can understand who were kings at the same time and how the kingdoms interacted with one another. Because that helps me understand. And what I understand more deeply, I can teach better. Like the like the history of Manasseh watching his watching his dad as a teenager. Well, Pastor Christian, um, let's let's flesh this out a little bit more because you're often not only telling us about the historical data of the Old Testament, you're also unpacking lessons and hidden truths from the Old Testament that most people wouldn't connect the to to the principles of Christian living today. So I also know that you've led seven trips to Israel and you're really passionate about those trips. And we have two strong ministry partners there. Where did your love and study of the Old Testament scriptures come from? Yeah, so really it it came from two things, very, very specific. Years ago, uh, I taught a uh, taught an adult Sunday school class, uh, you know, at a, at a kind of traditional church where you would go to Sunday school for an hour and then you would you would go to church for an hour. Um, God blessed me after a long time in student ministry. A lot of the parents in student ministry like to listen to me as much as they like to go to church. I had about 300 adults who came to a Sunday school class um, every Sunday and I got to teach for an hour and 15 minutes. I mean, you talk about really enjoying teaching the Bible. I get about 35 minutes on Sunday. I usually go about 39 and then it messes everything up. Um, I I got to sit on a stool for an hour and 15 minutes and just teach the Bible every Sunday. I loved it. Uh, I took a year to go through the book of Genesis um, and teach about the life and the promise of Abraham. Uh, And then I took a year uh, where I went through the book of Hebrews. Uh, And in the book of Genesis, I learned in Genesis chapter 12, what I call the Abrahamic blessing that God told Abraham, you know, he's going to bless him. He was going to make a nation of him and he was going to bless the whole world through him. But he told Abraham that he was going to curse people who cursed his people and he was going to bless people who blessed his people. So I just got this heart that uh, I, I should have a heart to help friends in my life uh, who might have a Jewish ethnicity uh, know who Jesus is because God wants us to bless his people with the gospel. Uh, and, I, and I used to think, man, if I ever like if I ever pastor my own church, we're going to find out how to help people in Israel that are telling the people of Israel about Jesus and they're helping people in Israel who are hurting. So I just always had a heart for that. But then when I studied the book of Hebrews, I understood for the first time that to really understand Jesus you have to understand Judaism. Jesus, Judaism is the key that unlocks Jesus. The tabernacle, the temple, the sacrifices, all the items in the tabernacle, all of those things were things that Jesus said ultimately he was the fulfillment of. From the Passover lamb to to the menorah, um, to the table of showbread, to the altar of incense, to the mercy seat, to the Ark of the Covenant, um, to the bread of life. I mean, Jesus was all of it. But once I understood that understanding Judaism more deeply and how Judaism worshipped uh, a God that we couldn't be connected to without atonement for sin, it, it, it just made the picture of Jesus in my head ten times bigger. So I've always had this desire 
to go back and really learn and study. Paul told the Corinthians everything written in the Old Testament was written as an example to us so that we could learn from it, so that so that we could we could become God's chosen people. He said the exact same thing in Romans. Paul told Timothy in First Timothy two that the scriptures can make you wise for salvation. He wasn't talking about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He was talking when he referred to the scriptures, he was talking about uh, Genesis uh, to Malachi, the 66 books of the Hebrew Bible, or what we call the Old Testament. Uh, and Jesus told his disciples that not one jot or tittle, those are both kind of weird English words, but the word jot in the Hebrew, in the Hebrew is the, is the letter yod. Um, the word tittle is the letter iota. Um, they are the two smallest letters in the Hebrew language. Yod literally looks like a, like an apostrophe. Uh, iota is the smallest mark you can make. Jesus Jesus said, you, you can't even erase the dots on the eyes and the apostrophes in the sentences in the Old Testament. It is that important for you understanding the foundation of the world and the foundation of the covenants and the promises uh, and the Savior that one day connects you to God. So for me, I, I'm, I'm really passionate about knowing all the scripture because I want to know Jesus. And I believe every word of the Old Testament uh, points to and paints a picture of of Jesus. So for me, I'm passionate about it in my own faith, and I enjoy getting past just the stories. Great stories, Jonah, Samson, um, David, Joseph, uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. I mean, lots of good, good stories. But the truth that reveals a picture of Jesus is unbelievable. Well, what about the people who say, I'm not Jewish, and we don't have to do any of the stuff anymore that's mentioned in the Old Testament? We just need to study and preach the New Testament scriptures. Are, are Christians still supposed to give three tithes and, and leave the corners of their fields and lake crops on their trees for others? Well, so here's the deal. So I, I'm not Jewish either, but my Savior is, right? And if, if I was married to someone uh, who I didn't grow up like, I, I would want to get to know them as much as I possibly could. So a lot of a lot of studying the Old Testament is understanding Jesus in his context, the disciples in their context, the early church in its context, not because you have to, but because you want to, because you were in love with a person named Jesus. And Jesus was raised in the context of a first century Jewish family. His disciples were all raised in a context of a first century Jewish family. Um, to answer a real specific question, but, you know, to go to the next question, um, does that, does that mean we have to follow all the rules of Judaism? No, of course not. There's not a single rule of Judaism that you can follow to get yourself into heaven. It's not meeting the requirements of the law. Paul said the requirements of the law were all fulfilled in Jesus. So um, you, you, can't, you can't get to heaven by tithing 30%, um, nor can you get to heaven by keeping the Ten Commandments. You can only get to heaven through Jesus. However, if you were to say to me, well, I'm not Jewish, so I don't have to keep the Ten Commandments, I would say theologically that's right, but I don't want to be your friend um, because there's a lot of things in the Ten Commandments that as a like, I understand you're not Jewish, but if you if you love the Savior who was, those are some those are some standards that are pretty good that I think the closer you got to God, you, you'd want to be like. And, and someone will say, hey, I'm not I'm not Jewish. I don't I don't want to tithe 10 percent. I certainly don't want to give three tithes and leave the corner of my field. I'd say, fine, you don't have to do that to go to heaven. However, the more you look like Jesus, Jesus grew up in the context of the Jewish faith, um, the more you'll want to, listen, not give money, but the more you'll want your heart directed towards worship, 
directed towards spiritual community, directed towards helping others. That, that's all that does. Those, all of those laws, all they do is point our heart in the right direction. Remember, Israel was a theocracy. Israel and Judaism it, were the way things would be if God could be in charge. Uh, so because, Jesus, because we couldn't keep all those things, Jesus came to fulfill all those requirements for us. But for us to think, okay, I don't even care how God would want things if he were in charge. I think we should learn those. And as much as possible, especially when it comes to, remember, three types of laws in the Old Testament. There's, there's civil laws, there's ceremonial laws, and there's moral laws. Civil laws applied to the country of Israel. We don't live there, okay? You don't have to keep those. Ceremonial laws apply to people who are ethnically Jewish and practice Judaism. That's not us. You don't have to keep those. But all those moral laws that speak to the heart, we should learn those and desire. If that's how God wants our heart to be shaped, if that's how God wants our life to be shaped, Man, let, let's, let's run after that. Let's run after that. Um, if this is how God wants our heart to be shaped and we love him deeply, let's run after it. Let's learn it and run after it. Not because we can accomplish it to keep it, but because of what Jesus has done for us, we want to become as much like the people God wants us to become as possible. Not because we have to, but because we get to now because of what Jesus has done for us and how his spirit has been poured into our hearts. Well, you mentioned briefly an Old Testament encounter between Abram and Melchizedek, and you stated that standing in his temple is one of the spiritual highlights of your life. According to the New Testament, um, Melchizedek is one of the, the keys to unlocking our understanding about Jesus. Can you help us connect those dots and, and tell us why it was so important you, to, to find yourself in this piece of history in Israel? Yeah, so the author of Hebrews quotes 110, uh, Psalm 110 verse 4 where he says that the Messiah will be a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Um, so I, I had, again, my study of Hebrews had unlocked that truth of my mind. So several years ago, I'm in Israel. We're under the old city of Jerusalem, and we're in this temple that dates back past anything Canaanite, dates past uh, you know anything Israeli. But but we're standing in under the city of Jerusalem, very clearly a temple where sacrifices were made and where where worship of God was done. And our guide tells us we believe the only written history about this section of the Middle East that describes a priest in a temple is Melchizedek. And I stopped and I said, hang on. I, I was there with some people. This this is a site that is not open to the public yet, but we met the lead archaeologist on the project. And he took us, I mean, through this big metal gate, through chains, through no trespassing signs, you know, back through this live archaeological dig to this place. So we're just hearing about it for the first. I'm not prepared to teach it because I don't even know what it is. He said, hey, I want to show you this. So I'm there with the group and I hear him say that, Melchizedek. And I said, hang on. And I said, can I can I teach? He said, yes. Yeah. So I grabbed my Bible out of my back pocket, turned to Psalm 110, verse 4. And I said, everybody turn to Psalm 110, verse 4. I said, this, I didn't realize this is where we were, but if this is where we are, this is unbelievable. The, you know, this is the place where Abram and Genesis 14 would have given a tithe to Melchizedek as, as, an, as an offering of worship to God. But Hebrews later helps unpack a problem with Jesus as the Jewish Messiah. Here was the problem with Jesus as the Jewish Messiah. The Jewish Messiah was supposed to be both a priest and a king. Kings in Judah, king, kings in Israel came from the tribe of Judah. Priest in Israel came from the line of Levi. So it would have been impossible for your heritage to be both the heritage of a priest and a king. 
So this, so this is a problem that Jesus, who was born of a father from the tribe of Judah, was not a Levite, which means he couldn't have been a priest, which means he, he couldn't have been the Messiah because he couldn't have been the great high priest. The author of Hebrews says, hang on. G, the Messiah, according to Psalm 110, is in the line of Melchizedek, not Levi. And Melchizedek was around before Levi. Basically, uh, the Messiah is is bigger than the tribes of Israel, bigger than the tribes of Judah, bigger than the tribes of Levi. And then the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews 7, if Abraham would have been here, he would be paying tithe to Jesus because Jesus is the Messiah. Uh, and Melchizedek is is kind of the key that unlocks how someone from the tribe of Judah could be a high priest in Israel. Because that could not have happened unless it was a high priest like Melchizedek uh, who existed before time, whose lineage before birth was connected to God, whose lineage after birth would connect him to God. Uh, Melchizedek, according to Psalm 110, is that key that unlocks how someone from the tribe of Judah could be a high priest in Israel. Uh, it's a fascinating study. And to not only pick up little pieces of it, studying Hebrews and studying the Old Testament, but then to stand where archaeologists really believe his temple was. Um, I mean, man, it, it feels like holy ground. It, it feels like take off your shoes, get down on your knees, because something really, really special in our faith journey happened here that God would keep pointing back to over the years in Scripture to say when Jesus comes, it, he'll look like this. You'll know him because of, because of this guy. Really, really, really big deal in the Old Testament uh, in the in the Old Testament history, in the in the prophecy of the Psalms, and in, in the teaching of the New Testament, Melchizedek, the high priest of God who lived in Salem, which is the word Shalom, which is the the location of Yeru Shalom or Jerusalem, um, the the great the great city of God that uh, that that we go toward today. Pastor Christian, I love your passion for all of this. I um, I could just sit here and. And hear you unpack all of this all day. But let's kind of bring this podcast to a conclusion today. And I, I'd, I hate to end the podcast without talking about the end of your message. Um, only you could connect a message on generosity to the author Stephen King, right? It's like pastors, kids, anybody else, don't try this at home. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's a you good read quote. a yeah, yeah, it's a really good quote. You read a portion of his commencement address at Vassar College. About 20 years ago, and, and it was really good. Uh, and this is a statement from a secular author, and, and, and I want to just read this, this part of it that really kind of touched my heart. Stephen King writes this, One doesn't give or open one's wallet to improve the world, although it's nice when it happens. One gives or opens one's wallet to improve oneself. I give because it's the only concrete way of uh, I, only concrete way I have of saying I'm glad to be alive and that I can earn my daily bread doing what I love. Uh, from a biblical perspective, Pastor Christian, how does being generous with our finances help us improve ourselves? I think it li- I think it lifts our eyes to a higher level. You know, that, one that's a great quote from Stephen King. Um, I mean, that guy clearly has a dark and clouded mind. The books he writes, the movies they produce, I mean, like, look out, right? But his heart for generosity, man, is right on. And when Christians give, when followers of Jesus give, when people who are connected to God give, it's always for one of three reasons. Because our eyes are up in worship, because our eyes are out seeking, searching, celebrating community, or because our eyes are down helping people who need a hand up um, 
or some help up from where they are. I mean, those were the the three reasons you would tithe in Israel. You would tithe as worship and for ministry. You would tithe for community and to live in community and celebrate the spiritual community you had around you. And and you would tithe to help those who were in a season of needing a little more. Um, I think when, when, when we give, if, if you give with the heart of generosity of the Jewish culture, um, you never give looking in the mirror. You always give looking up, looking out or looking down. You give because of what God has done to you. You give because of the people around you who had so much value to your life. You give by seeing those who need a hand up in life. Not not just a hand out, but a hand up um, in life. That in this season of your life, we know you need some help. So I'm going to give to help you. The heart of God in giving, the heart of generosity in the Jewish culture, the heart of it, all right? Maybe not, maybe not the principle of it always, maybe not the rule of law of it always, but the heart of it was supposed to be. Get your eyes up. Get your eyes out. Get your eyes down. Keep your eyes off you because when you live open-handed, you live like God who loved the world so much that he gave his son, his one and only son, that whoever believed in him wouldn't perish but have eternal life forever. That's why we give because it makes us... It makes us love like God. Well, Pastor Christian, thank you for going into great depth on the subject of generosity and, and a lot more depth on, on these Old Testament passages. So good today. More importantly, thank you for helping us rethink what generosity is really all about. And I pray this will be a game changer for, for those of you that are listening today. And we're so grateful that you have listened to the episode today of Activate. And just as a programming note, next week is Thanksgiving, so we'll be pausing Activate for one week. And we'll release a new episode on Sunday, December 8th. And as always, we pray that this podcast has ministered to you and, and challenged you in some way. We look forward to catching you next time on the Activate Podcast, where we challenge you to build a faith that is active. Thank you for listening to Activate with Pastor Christian Newsom, a podcast of Journey Church International. If you are ever in the Kansas City area, we would love for you to join us for one of our Sunday worship experiences. You can find out more information about JCI on our website, at takethejourney.cc. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please show your support by subscribing, rating, and reviewing on iTunes or Google Play. We would love for you to help us get the word out about this resource. Don't forget to share this episode with all your friends on social media. Thanks again for listening, and we will catch you next time on the Activate Podcast.